Turn with me today in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And uh, we are, can you believe this? We are finishing this series. We've been in this series since September, and we've been working our way mostly verse by verse through this and just tackling these, some of these tough issues. And uh, I hope that you have learned as much as I have in this series, just studying for it and teaching it. And, but here is what I want you to know, especially if you're a brand new person and you, maybe you've showed up on the very last day of a series. And you can go back and listen to all these messages. Our heart is not just for you to get lots of information. Our heart is for you to get that information and for you to take it into your life and apply it and for God through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring transformation into your life and spiritual depth. And, uh, and so that is our hope in this. And, and what we're going to find as we conclude this series today, that is the essence of what Solomon, who we've been learning, who is the, the author of this, or at least his words are, is try, going to try to say as he wraps this up and he lands the plane for us today. Did you know what the most commonly repeated command that God gives us in in the Bible? Have you wondered what that is? What does he tell us to do over and over and over again? It's funny, I, I, I didn't realize this until just very recently, and here's what it is. You ready? God tells us to rejoice over and over and over again. He tells us to be happy. Now, I know what a lot of us may think. Well, you know, maybe that's, is that happiness because I got a new boat or I got this or, or maybe because things are going okay for me right now. It's this idea, he will say it over and over again, be glad, rejoice. The idea is there's an overwhelming sense of wholeness within you that cannot be taken by any circumstance or anyone. And he's going to say that in a certain way over and over again. Rejoice, be glad. Now, this isn't a circumstantial kind of thing that I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks, yes, but Solomon is also going to wrap this up for us, and we're going to find what the key is to actually, how do we actually begin to experience this within our life, this peace, this joy, this sense of wholeness within that where it's not that I won't go through hard, difficult times, because what have we learned in this book? He addresses the tough raw truths of this world that is broken, where we find out that we're, our bodies are aging. We, we nearly every single week talked about a subject that most of us don't want to address or think about. Do you remember what it is? Death, that it's something that we're all dealing with. We're all going to conf confront and face at one time. This world's not pain-free. And yet God will say to us more than anything else, I want you still to rejoice. I want you to be, your heart to be glad I want you to know how to handle this. And so in the book of Ecclesiastes, where we find it, it, he's just brutally honest with us about some of these things, and we've been in some pretty tough weeks, and I've had to work really hard to bring some hope in some of those weeks, because this book is meant to be read all in one sitting. It's meant to be preached all at one time to get to where we're going today. I just couldn't do that. And so, uh, because it would have been too long. But I want you to see that even, it's not only just in the Bible that we find rejoice over and over again. Even in a tough book like Ecclesiastes, if we were to back up before we get to chapter 12, let me just show you really quickly just up on the screen. Here's what Solomon would say. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be, what does it say, church? Joyful. 
to be joyful, to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink. Hey, we can do that, right? Eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. So I saw that there is nothing better than, than that a man should, what's the next word? Rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Chapter 7 says, in the day of prosperity, be, what does it say? Joyful. 8.15, and I commend, what does it say? Joy. Do you see it? Over and over again. This joy is not only in this book, it's in the entirety of God's word. You find it over and over. He says, I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. Chapter 9, go eat your bread. Man, I love that verse right there. Eat your bread with what? Joy. That is a carb busters uh, verse right there, okay? Eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Verse 9, Oh my goodness, enjoy life. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. Remember that word vain is hevel. It's, it's this here and then it's gone. That he has given you under the sun. Chapter 11, verse 9. Rejoice, O oh young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. I think a lot of us, because especially if you've grown up maybe with a religious background, we would think that the thing that God would command us to do might be something kind of negative, that it would be something that would be legalistic, or, you know, we're really good as religious people of making rules up and, you know, and, and being, having a negative slant. I love that the number one command that God gives us is be joyful. Be, be, and it's a choice that we're going to see that you and I get to make regardless of this. The preacher Solomon, I want you to know that he is not advocating a be happy, just don't worry, be happy, stick your head in the sand, pretend that there's not any hardship in life. If you've been with us over the last few months, you know that that is anything, uh, that is completely different than what we have found. But in the midst of the hardship, what he is saying is you still get to choose joy. You have, a, you have a response that you get to have. So here is what Solomon the preacher is saying, is that although we live this life under the sun, if you're new, life under the sun is this broken world that you and I are living in right now. It's marred by sin. Here is the thing. We still get a choice to be joyful. We get a choice in how we respond. Now, the big question that I ask, and I know you must be, those of you online, maybe you're going through a hard time right now, here's the question, but How? How do I do that whenever things are so hard and whenever it feels like life's just in this tailspin right now? How do I do this? Well, Solomon actually is going to answer this for us. He's going to give us a key on how to do that. And that is big. If you can catch this and I can get this in my life, I want this not only for me, I want it for you. I especially as a parent, and if you're a parent here today, I want my kids to get this. I want them to understand what does this look like? How can they actually find this joy and this happiness? No matter what their circumstances are, how can I find it? How can they? This guy Solomon, we know, has been through all kinds of things where he has tried to pursue and find the answer to that question. He has looked for it in a number of different ways. And now what he is going to say in chapter 12, I have found the answer that I have been searching for. I have found it, and, and, and you know that 
as we've studied this book together, he tried to look for it in a number of ways that are human ways we would try to find it. He tried to find that answer in his work and in big projects. He tried to find the answer to happiness in money, in pleasure, in power, in, in relationships, all of these different things. And all of those things in and of themselves are not necessarily bad things, but what Solomon would say is, I pursued all of these things, and yet I still came up empty. I still wasn't quite happy in my life. In fact, I, I, I really found that it was just Vanity is the word that he used. Remember vanity? It's here, it's gone, and it's just, it feels meaningless at times. I was listening to a podcast this last week. It was really interesting. It's by a, uh, a Christian psychiatrist, uh, psychologist named Dr. Henry Cloud, and uh, he has written some great books. One of these books is called Boundaries. I highly recommend this book. But I was listening to him, and uh, it was interesting. My wife also listened to this, and she said, you got to listen to today's. She said, he's talking about, and I told her what I was going to be speaking to you about today, about this this inner joy, this happiness. She said, he's talking about it today and he's saying a lot of the same things that you're saying. I'm like, that's because it's consistently found in God's word. What Henry Cloud would say was that there are secular psychologists that did a multi-decade study trying to find the answer to, you ready? How to be happy. They're trying to find that, and in the process, what they began to discover, and he was revealing this, and I won't dive into this too much, really much more than this, was that many of them were finding is that a lot of the truths that are found in here is they were lining up with where people were saying happiness was being found. Isn't that interesting? To find that that is even coming from secular psychologists. Now, what we're going to find is that Ecclesiastes, in some chapters, has been confusing. Would you agree? It's been challenging. What you're going to find today is that he's going to make it crystal clear of how to experience what we're talking about. How do I have this inner peace, this inner joy, this happiness in my life? So, so as we look at chapter 12, go to chapter 12, and we're going to find that it's broken. The second half of this is broken into three different parts. First, we're going to look at the teacher's credentials. Okay, last week we read... In verses 1 through 8, where Solomon takes us on this journey of the aging process where our bodies are breaking down. How many of you thought I was preaching exactly to you on that day? Your bodies are hurting, they're aching. Some of you are like, man, were you reading my mail? And uh, Solomon was just bringing up this principle of this that we're all breaking down and we're all, our bodies are inevitably starting to deteriorate because of the curse of sin. By the way, I saw an article this week about a lady who has lived to 106. She's still going strong and the, her, her name uh, is Dorothy Ned. She's in Philadelphia and she said that the key to her long life was her faith in Jesus and going to church every week. And then I really love this part too. And after church, going and get a Big Mac every Sunday. So I thought if the key to living long is loving Jesus and loving cheeseburgers, then man, I'm going to be 150, okay, because I love both of those. Now Solomon was really trying to get the attention, if you'll recall in chapter 12, of younger people. Because he says, remember your creator in the days of your, what does he say? Youth. Before your body starts, because a lot of times we're like, oh, I'll do that later. No, he's saying, no, check this out, 
young people, if you'll get this now, it will change your life and you'll be happier throughout your lifetime. You won't miss out and have all of these regrets. He's saying, get this now. Now, what you're going to find in chapter 12 as we start to read is he's going to shift from the first person to the third person. I told you in the first week that Solomon, these most likely are the words, they are the words of Solomon. We don't know specifically if he wrote this or if someone else recorded this, but what we do know is that there is a narrator. There's a narrator at the very beginning. There's also a narration part in the middle. And then here we go where it's going to shift into third person, and the narrator is going to help land the plane for us today. Now, he's going to start with the credentials. Why would he start with the credentials? Because many of us, as we're going along in life, and I'm saying, hey, I want to teach you how to be happy in life, or Solomon's saying that to you, a question we might naturally ask is, well, why should I listen to him? Why does this guy know something? What makes him know something more than what I already do? Now look at chapter 12, verse 9. Here's what the narrator is going to say regarding Solomon. Besides being wise, the preacher, that's Solomon, it's called Kohelet, okay? He's the teacher. It's not just preacher alone. It's a teacher. It's a speaker uh, to a gathering of people. He says this. He also taught people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. Now, whenever we look at a book today, we want to know if the book, especially if you're doing research uh, in any kind of educational setting, you need to be certain that before you cite that or use it, that it is a credible source. That's very important. Well, this is what is happening here is that he's, he's asserting that Solomon was credible, that he was credible in this. And in fact, he's going to say, let me tell you about this guy, Solomon. He has the credentials to tell you about this issue of happiness, to tell you about this issue of fulfillment in life. And, 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 and what he said, now he uses some verbs to describe what he did. He did what? He taught. So he was a teacher, a very well-known teacher of that day. People would come from all over. Kings and queens would come to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. He was renowned. And people back in that age knew this and they would be in awe of his wisdom as he would ta- teach. It says he weighed, which what that means is he was a philosopher. He was a philosopher of philosophers. And he would think deeply on things and would, would be able to draw out these axioms of truth that many people just couldn't get at face value. And he would explain these things. It says that he studied. It says that he wrote thousands of proverbs, okay? Actually, if you study Solomon, there were thousands of proverbs that are these truths that people still apply in their lives. Every single day we apply these truths Okay, it says he found word of, words of delight. And so he was a great renowned speaker and would articulate these truths. What this guy is doing, now in our books, we will give the credentials up front, but in ancient literature, they would do this at the end of the text. And this is what he's doing. He's giving the credentials. What he's saying is what Solomon wrote was true. And, and people t- received it in this day because of who he was. I love that it says this, he wrote words of truth. Did you see that? He wrote words of truth. Why is that so important? Because truth is something that is constantly under assault, especially today. 
But there's nothing new under the sun. It was under assault in that age as well. And what he's saying is he wrote words of truth. And what we need today is we need not only God's grace. Yes, we need his grace. But something goes in hand in hand with that. Truth. We need grace and truth together. That's exactly what we all need because... There's so much garbage that we're being fed every single day, whether it's in your social media feeds, whether it's in your news feeds, whether it's whatever it is that you consume through the media that you are, you are taking garbage in. And my friends, here's the thing, there must be some kind of way that you are able to filter and through the power of the Holy Spirit, detect and discern what is true. Because everybody is going to tell you that this is you're hearing it today. This is my truth. That is very dangerous because what it suggests is that it is relative for whatever the situation is. But there are, are truths that are, are unchanging that we have to know how to discern, okay? So you're going to get the teacher's credentials, but you're also going to get a teacher's, the teacher's caution. He's going to begin to caution us on some things. Here's what he's going to say. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails. Firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd, my son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. And all of the students would say amen. That is not an excuse to not study for your test. Okay? And the professor would say amen. But here is the thing. Here is what he's saying. There's going to be, there was written back then lots of books about this. Trying to answer the question of how to be fulfilled and happy and find meaning, meaning in your life. And there are thousands, if not millions, of books that are written on this today. So how are you going to sift through what is actually true? So here's what he says. You've got to understand that God's word is where this is found. You're going to find contradicting opinions that are going to tell you this over and over again. Remember, who is he trying to speak to? Young people. He's trying to get their attention now. Some of you who are in college or you're in high school and you're just being hammered with all of these things that are challenging these things, you've got to get, you've got to get into God's word today. So here's what he's going to say. The most important thing in your life is that you find some grounding of discerning what is true. And where do we find that as believers? We find that in the word of God. Now, here's something that is a little bit alarming, and it should be alarming, is this. There was a 2019 study that happened. LifeWay did this study, and what they found was this. They found that uh, of churchgoers, obviously churchgoers are going to be people who are reading the Word of God more than just the everyday American, although a lot of people who aren't churchgoers are reading the Word of God more. But here's what we find. Here's something that was a little concerning. Only 32% who attend church regularly say they read God's word daily. So that's a third, okay? And I want you to begin to think about this. And this isn't to make you feel condemned if you don't fall into that category. I just want to expose something to you. Because many of us are trying to make our decisions. We're trying to lead our families. We're trying to know how to go through the hardships of life. And a lot of us are doing this by just gut feeling. A lot of us are just trying to wing it through life. And what Solomon is saying is this is really dangerous. 
Do you know what the word of God would say? Jeremiah would even say, if you're just, you'll hear this, follow your heart, follow your heart. What Jeremiah would say is the heart is deceitful above all things. And so if you're just following your gut, then you're going to make a lot of really bad choices, which is going to affect ultimately what? Your happiness. You see how it connects? Okay. So, and it goes on, and I won't read all of these, but you can see the very last one says there are 12% who are regular, who rarely, if ever, crack open the word of God. And I don't know where you fall on that, and it's not to shame you if you struggle with reading God's Word. I want you to know, especially if you're new here, our heart here at EBC and your pastor's hearts and your leaders is to come alongside you and to help you. We want you to get grounded in God's Word because there's going to be times that you're not going to be able to text us and get an answer. There's going to be times you won't be able to call us. There's going to be times where you're going to struggle with knowing what to do, and you won't be able to talk to your pastors. You need to know how to open God's Word. We want to help you with that. Uh, this next series is going to be really important in learning a lot about this. So, so here's, what, here's what I do know. I know that if we're not in God's Word, we're going to struggle with knowing how to make decisions. We're going to struggle, and many of us are spiritually famished, and we're wondering, why do I not have any joy? Why do I not have peace about what I'm going through? Well, again, we want to help you with this. Now, something about those stats that I found that I thought was really interesting was that in 2021, people, not just churchgoers, but people in general, Americans, were surveyed, and here's what they found. In 2021, more people are reading the Bible today than they were in 2019. I wonder if what we're going through has something to do with people saying, I'm looking for answers. Hey, this was also interesting. Gen Z, which is my daughter's generation, that's from about age 10 to about 25. Some of you fall into that category. Now, now, now some of you who are older are going to hear this and it's going to shock you, and, and it probably won't shock you, but... But here's what I want to tell you, is that 12%, 12% of Gen Zers are scripturally engaged. But I want you to think about how much other stuff is being filtered into their lives. Now, this is, now that could discourage you. I didn't find it discouraging. Here's what I found encouraging. 76%, we're not just talking about Christians. 76% of those Gen Zers, the younger generation, said they were open to and had questions. They were open to discussing the Bible. 76%. 64% of them said they wished that they just read it more. Now, Again, 12% would be discouraging, but what I hear as a pastor is there is a whole host of younger folks who are coming up, but, but here's what I'm trying to say to those of you who are older, who are, we're, remember, we're supposed to be bringing them along. What I'm trying to say is that if you who are older aren't grounded in God's word, you, want, you gotta know this. The younger generation is no longer just accepting at face value what God's word says. They wanna see if it's real in your life. They want to know if you know what you're talking about. And so it is very important. And, and, and by the way, you're not going to argue them into the kingdom of God, but you can model the love of God by putting your arm around them and having civil dialogue with them and trusting the Holy Spirit to transform their lives. I want to say this to our church. I want to say it to those of you who are online who are believers already. We as believers... We have to stop expecting that people who don't know Jesus are going to act like believers. 
Jesus didn't act that way. Jesus put his arms around people who were sinners and who were broken. And so how do we do this as the older generation? We acknowledge our brokenness before them. And we act as if we don't have it all together because we don't. Amen? And and what they need is for us to, in our authenticity, acknowledge that we're broken, to put our arms around them, and to say, let's, and Jesus would have civil discussion with those who who didn't even agree with him all the time. He would speak civilly with them, and, 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 and Jesus would bring grace, and he would bring truth. And the Holy Spirit would speak to them, and he would speak to them, right? Now, some of them, their lives were transformed. I think of Zacchaeus. I think of some of the others. And then there was some like the rich young ruler who walked away from him. But you still got to bring the grace and truth. So it's important that you know what it is you're talking about. Now, go back to verse 11, okay? The words of the wise, he says, are like goads. What in the world is that? We don't use that word today. I have no idea. They're like goads and are like nails firmly fixed. And then he goes on and he says this. They're given by one shepherd, The shepherd, many of the scholars believe he's speaking of, is God himself. God is equated to a shepherd often. The Lord is my shepherd. He does what? And what does a shepherd do? A shepherd protects, yes, but a shepherd also leads and guides and directs, okay? And in this context, what he's using here is he's using a couple of words. This word, goad, I, I didn't really, I don't know what that is. I had to look this up. And uh, here's what a shepherd uses. He uses something that, this is an ox goad. And this is a tool that they would use. Think of it like a cattle prod, okay? Now, animals, if you're a rancher or if you're a shepherd, you know this. Uh, and we are often equated as sheep. We can be very stubborn, and the rancher or the shepherd will use a tool to move, and sometimes it's a painful process, because that looks like that would hurt, doesn't it? To move them along to where they need to be. It's a painful process. And the shepherd knows where they should be. And what Solomon is saying is that is what the word of God is like for us. It's, it's this goad that will sometimes in its truth inflict a little bit of pain. But it's a pain that is actually a good kind of pain. It's a pain that will move us where we need to be. Paul writes about this in 2 Timothy. It might make us uncomfortable, but it's necessary. Paul would say all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. We just said that a second ago. We need to understand how to discern truth to make us realize what is wrong. So there's, there's correction there. And it, look, and it corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. That's the purpose of the word of God. And if we are not in God's word consistently, We're going to struggle with the correction when we need it. We're going to struggle with knowing how to live our lives. We're going to struggle with this joy and with this peace. Because what we're going to find is that these believers who are not, often they're going to have that joy robbed because of the circumstances. So it's imperative that we consistently consume the word of God. Jesus himself would even say that man shall not live on bread alone, but but how shall he exist? But upon every word that proceedeth out out of the mouth of God. That that is where we find our nourishment. So what concerns me about the biblical literacy factor for believers is that so many of us are spiritually famished. 
and we're just trying to exist. Maybe if we, if we hear a message once a week and you wouldn't live your life that way with real food or you would, you would be famished, wouldn't you? Remember, we're talking about how to be happy, how to find this lasting joy. That, that, and, and, and here is what he's saying. It is with this goad that moves us. And then he uses a description of nails. What do nails do? Nails bring stability. They anchor things. So you've got that which is moving. It's a beautiful word picture. That which is moving us where we need to be. And yet, even as we're being moved, he is stabilizing us. Do you see that? There are roots that are going down that stabilize you in those times. Here's how we could summarize this. Solomon is saying, if you want to know a key to happiness, then you got to understand that God is going to bring some pain oftentimes in our lives with some truth. It's painful at the time, but it's productive. And we realize that and we receive this, okay? So we've got the credentials, we have his caution, and what we have next, and this is where we're going with all this, you have the teacher's conclusion, He's going to begin to conclude this. And some of you are like, yes, finally. This has been a long series. So here's what he's going to say. The end of the matter. What is the matter? What's the matter? The end of the matter all has been said. Is that what it says? No. The end of the matter all, now you can see it, all has been what? heard. We can talk a big game, but really unless you apply it in your lives because you've heard it and you've applied it, remember we're not about information, we're about transformation. This is what he's saying. All has been heard. And then he tells us this, fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or or evil. Now, I want to tell you right now that if you don't know Christ as your Savior, that's a terrifying verse. And we'll get to that in a second. Notice he doesn't say when all has been said. He says when all has been heard. In the Hebrew, the word for heard here is this word shema. And the word shema, you realize there's not a word for obey uh, in, in this text. It's, it's hear and obey is one word. To hear God is to obey God in the Hebrew mind. It's not a wonder of if I follow through with this. It is to hear it. It means this. Listen and then you apply. To hear God's word is to obey God's word. What was the conclusion of the matter? Remember, what is the matter? How do I find meaning in this life? How do I find purpose? How do I find happiness? How can I be satisfied with this life? And then he's going to give us the key and the answer. He gives it in the next sentence. Here's what he says. Fear God and do what? Obey his commands. Fear God and obey his commands. Now, this isn't the first time we've heard this in the book. It's been peppered throughout the entire book. I won't go back and read all of those like I did about joy. But what does it mean to fear God? What does that mean? In fact, I was preaching a message probably about, I don't even remember how many years ago, but probably over a decade ago. And there was a young man who was in our service, and the message I was preaching was in Proverbs chapter 9, uh, verse 10, where it says, The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. 
To fear God is the beginning of wisdom. And I, I did my very best preaching that message. I felt like I explained it well. But I was having this conversation with this young man later. And, and he, he was newer. To, he could not get his brain around this. And maybe some of you have struggled with, what does it mean to fear God? I remember him saying, I, I don't know if I want to serve a God that wants me to be afraid of him. And we would try to have this dialogue. And I tried to help him understand that's not exactly what's being totally said here. Here, although we need to understand that God is awesome. God is powerful. If he did want to squash us like a bug, he could. But here's the key and the point. He doesn't. And I, and I, and I, want, I want to take you down this path. Sadly, this young man also struggled with an addiction in his life. And uh, this addiction ultimately took his life at a very young age. And it broke my heart because he couldn't quite grasp this. And he rejected it. So I really felt as I brought this up today, I'm prayerful that the Holy Spirit is, is I'm going to take you through this in the next couple of minutes, that, that you will ask the Holy Spirit to be your teacher beyond what I can communicate even in my words to you. I want to bring up some definitions of the fear of God. The fear of God, you got to understand, is like this multifaceted diamond that you can come at it from many different angles. And this is imperative. You catch these things because remember what he says, if you want to know how to be happy, here is where it begins. This is where it begins. This is what he says. I'm going to give you some, these aren't my definitions, but these are definitions that are out there that are, I think are really good. It begins with a wholesome dread of displeasing God. A wholesome dread of displeasing him. And again, when we understand the grace of the Lord and we understand that I, I don't want to displease my father, I, I, I have this more of a dread of displeasing him, okay? Next, it's a holy awe of God as he is revealed in the scripture. It's a holy awe of God. By the way, if you don't get all of these written down, because I'm going to go kind of quick, you can take a picture of them or email me and I'll be glad to send them to you again. I didn't come up with these. Uh, these are some great definitions. Here's the next one. It's a humble awareness that to hear God is to obey God. There's a humility in the fear of God. It's, it's recognizing my place in comparison to the awesomeness of who God is. And here's the next part of it. It is a hope-filled faith. In Jesus who died and rose to make all things new. And then this last one here really speaks to my heart. It is a heart-stopping realization that nothing remains hidden from his view and his judgment. In other words, you recognize one of the characteristics of God is omnipresence, which means this, that he is everywhere, Right? Wherever you are, you cannot escape from the presence of God. David talks about it in Psalm 139. And here's another part of his character. He is omniscient, which means this. Listen, he knows every action. He sees every action. He knows because he's omniscient, every thought. He, he knows our attitudes. He understands all of these things. Now, here is the thing. It is an understanding of God's presence so therefore, because I am aware of his presence everywhere that I go and with every situation I'm in and every choice that I make, there's a heart-stopping moment where I use that as a filter to what I decide to do going forward because I realize I don't want to displease the Lord in this. I don't want to displease you, Lord. 
I want to be sure that I'm making your, that the decisions I'm making are yours decisions. They're not just about me, okay? Now, again, I want to emphasize to you that remember what Solomon is getting at is how to be internally happy, a happiness that can't be robbed from you by circumstances, a joy, uh, right, that is there. And I want you to know that this is not a fear of cowering in shame, When you go back to the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They ran in fear and they hid in shame. But what did our Lord do? He came looking for them, didn't he? And even as he was giving out the consequences of sin, he was still encompassing within that a promise of redemption even in their mistake. And he said, where are you? Now, this isn't the fear, the fear where you're cowering in shame and you're, you're just afraid he's going to squash you like a bug, even though he could. What we have to keep in mind, especially as believers here today, is where we are in the midst of this. It's looking at it in the context of the whole redemptive story. You have Genesis over here where sin happened. You have the cross here in the middle. You have the book of Revelation where there is judgment that is coming here. And here we are on this side of the cross in redemptive history with the capacity, unlike what Solomon had, to be able to look back at what God himself did in interjecting himself into history, becoming one of us, humbling himself because of our sin problem that separated us and because of the judgment that was coming where it says the wrath of God will be poured out upon those of us who are sinners, which by the way, who is that? That's all of us. But God himself interjected himself into history, put skin on, lived the life that you and I could never live, which is a life of perfection, becoming the perfect sacrifice. And he died the death that you and I deserved on the cross so that when he was on the cross and he said it is finished, it is when God poured out that wrath that was for us in our sin. God poured the wrath out upon his own son. And then you know that he died. We know that he's been raised from the dead and that he's coming again. And Jesus said, for all who will believe and who will put their trust in me, I will make you new. And where paradise was lost in Genesis, paradise through the second Adam, Jesus, can be regained. So now, here's what that means. This is what is beautiful in the fear of God, where I should stand in awe, and I do stand in awe of him. You can go back to those, those d- different truths about the, the fear of God, and you can look at that now with the lens of what Jesus Christ did for you and for me. And so now I look at that, and I do have a wholesome dread of displeasing my father. I don't want to displease him because he's loved me the way that he loved me. I I stand in awe of the fact that he came into this world in spite of my sin and loved me in spite of my sin. And and that he's the awesome creator and that what is God, uh, what is man that he would even be mindful of us. That awesome God does this. I, I have a humble awareness that to hear him means to obey him. So he says, remember what he says to do? To, to fear God. So we stand in him in that way and to obey his commands. And so to obey his commands. Well, what did Jesus say? Jesus boiled down those commands to two things. Do you remember what they were? Love God and love people. So now the way that I love people is because I have the lens of Jesus and I've been shown grace. Now I show grace to people because I've been shown grace. 
I love God because, again, uh, I'm amazed at what he's done. Do you see how all of this transforms our inner being? Now I don't have to obey his commands. I want to obey his commands. Do you see the transformation of our heart there? I don't, take, I don't want to take advantage of this grace because that's what it is. Now what this produces, and here is the key, what this produces in you and within me, for those of us who will receive this, it produces gratitude. And if you want to know how to be happy, I heard this this week. Here's what I heard. Happy people are grateful people. Happy people are not entitled Happy people realize that anything that we have in our lives, the fact that you and I were born in America, the fact that we were born uh, in this place and that we were born and maybe you've come to know faith in Christ, we realize this, that anything that I have, now you may have worked really hard, absolutely, but who gave you the ability to work, the capacity to work, who put the breath within you? What I'm saying is this, we realize this in humility, we realize that anything I have, especially my eternal life, is not because I've earned it. Or deserve it. It's by his grace. And you know what? That makes me grateful. And so if you're struggling with happiness, it's because you have a gratitude problem. And you, and you look at others and you say, I should have that. Or you have a contentment problem because you feel like God's holding out on you. Or whatever. Happy people are grateful people. And you have a choice to make on whether you're going to be grateful. Here's another truth. Happy people are humble people. People that are just humble in heart and they don't get offended so easily because, man, we all make mistakes. And so we're humble with one another. So again, this is what the truth is. So this fear of God. Now, I I don't do these works to try to get him to accept me. I do these works because of the grace he's shown in my life. I do good things for others and I serve my family. I serve you. I serve I don't do it because I have to. I do it because I want to please my father. And that's what he's saying is the key. The key is this, to fear God and obey commands. I want to I leave you with this. This is incredible right here. Okay? God, remember, God wants you joyful. He wants you happy. He wants you to experience that which can't be taken from you no matter what your circumstances are because bad things are going to happen to all of us. True? And that's what Ecclesiastes will tell you. But again, your choice is how you decide to filter that through. Here's what Oswald Chambers said about the fear of God. This is one of the most profound things I've ever heard. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. You ought to take a picture of that one and just dwell upon it all week. Whereas if you do not fear God, and isn't this how all of us live our li- or many of us live our lives? We fear everything. We're worried. We're an anxious generation. True, right? Where we're just, we're worried, we're scared all the time. We're in the middle of, of a rough time in our nation. And people are afraid because fear is being dealt every single day. Through the media, through social media, through, it's just the way things are. Fear is a tool that the enemy uses to rob you and I of joy. 
and, and we're worried. And, and the world looks at us and we don't act as believers any different than many of them. And they're like, I, don't, I can do what you're already doing. What they need to see, what the world that is so desperate needs to see is that there's something that is different in us, even though we're going through the same stuff that is anchoring us and producing a peace and a joy that, that they do not have. Psalm says this. this. This is why the psalmist would write this. This is all throughout, laced throughout the Bible. Praise the Lord. That's a choice. Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Love God. I delight in it. First John would say his commands are not burdensome. That it becomes my joy to obey him, to love God, love people. Okay? And look at what he goes on to say. Verse 6. Such people. Who are the people? The ones who fear the Lord. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Why? Because you're rooted. You're like nails driven in. He goes on, those who are righteous will be long remembered. That will be your legacy. Your kids will remember you because you are not unstable. You, in, in the midst of hardship, were steadfast. That's your legacy. And that's what they will find uh, that will bring also joy to them seeing that in you. I love this, verse 7. They do not fear bad news. Those who fear the Lord, they don't fear bad news. I mean, it's still bad news, but they're like, man, they confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. They, I love this, share freely and give generously to those in need. You know why? Because they're not only looking at themselves and their own problems. And here is what we could say. This is a summation. Fear God and you will fear nothing else. How does that apply for us? You see, when I've got the fear of God within me and, and, and he's first in my life and I, I'm in awe of him and what he's done and I realize who he is and all of this in the context of my life, you know what that does? That helps me with my worry problem. Because I go back to this truth of the sovereign God, in spite of the fact that the world is falling apart, life under the sun, I'll go back to the stability that my father is sovereign and he is over my life and everything else. He appoints who's in places of leadership and removes them when it is his time, right? We're not, he's in control. He's sovereign. Here's what that also helps me with. I'm not afraid to die. I don't, I'm not looking forward to it, okay? But I don't have to be fearful of that day. Because I know that I stand in Jesus Christ. Now when the Lord looks upon me, instead of pouring the wrath upon me that I deserve, because he poured it upon Jesus, now when he looks at me, he sees me clothed in the righteousness of Jesus because Jesus said, that one is righteous. Not because I deserve it, but he declares me righteous. So I don't have to fear death. Here's the other thing. I don't have to fear what you think of me. And so many of us fear, it's the fear of man. I don't have to fear what you think of me because here's what I know. I'm already accepted by God. Whether you accept me or not, he's accepted me. Do you see how it applies in your life? 
Folks, this is the key. You want to live a happy, joy-filled, stable life. This is how he says to do it. Will you pray with me as we just go to the Lord right now? And if you're a believer, what I would encourage you to do is to ask yourself, do I have what, what, what Solomon, what Bart's talking about, what other believers in other parts of the world are experiencing, do I have that steadfast joy? It's not that you won't go through hard times. You will. But do I have that? Do others see a difference in me? Maybe you're carrying a heavy burden today and you're fearing something. I would suggest you lay that fear down and you take up your cross. Maybe today your response is just one of gratitude. I just want to be grateful to you, Jesus. Would you give me a grateful heart? Ask him to do that. Help me to take my eyes off of all the circumstances and be grateful and notice what I already have. I've said this before about my own life. Even if Jesus, even if God never did another thing for me, the fact that he's given me eternal life is more than enough. But he doesn't just want you to be happy in heaven one day. He wants you to experience fullness of life today. Are you grateful? Or are you always comparing and coveting? And Are you grateful? Are you worried? If you're worried, that means you're fearing something else rather than the fear of God. Are you fearing other people? And what they think of you? Would you lay that down before the Lord? Some of you, you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. I want you to know that He loves you. He came for you. He died for you. And He said, for all who will believe that he died and was raised from the dead, he gives you eternal life. Put your faith in Jesus right now. Call upon him to be your savior. We love you, Lord. Thank you for removing the fear of all the other things of our lives. Lord, would you just produce a steadfast joy in all of these who are believers today so that our world sees that within us and they crave what we have because of you, Lord. In your name we pray.